At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming up on episode 272 of Wheel Bearings, we've got updated software for the Lucid Air, the Nissan Z, the Toyota GR Corolla. Somebody is still putting money into Faraday Future. Uh, and some new Porsche EV news. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 272 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam McGuall Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Ars Technica. All right. And uh, we're actually recording this the day after I recorded yesterday with uh, Nicole, uh, episode 271, because she's on her way to L.A. right now to do what you were doing yesterday, which is driving cars for World Car of the Year, right? Yeah, we, we passed each other in the sky. I don't know if that's actually <laughs> happened. I think she, I got home last night. I think she left this morning. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> and then she'll... While she's in L.A., she's also going to hit up the L.A. Auto Show uh, to see what what little there is to see there. Um, and then we'll, uh, on our next episode, we'll hopefully all three of us will get back together again and we can talk about some of that stuff. But Back uh, together. Getting the band back together. But in the meantime, what have you been driving? So I have been driving a, I, well, yesterday I drove a lot of cars. But I can't talk about all of them. And so first, I'm just going to talk about the car that's in my driveway right now, and that is the Nissan Z. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, the, the the Z, the Fair Lady, whatever you want to call it. It's it's Nissan's longtime uh, sports car. Um, you know, you, you, you have the Roadsters, you have the 260Z, the 280ZX, the you know, it's Z, Z's from from the beginning of time, <laughs> as far as Nissan. <laughs> or at least since been, 1970. Yeah, as far as Nissan is concerned, uh, or Datsun at the, you know, yeah. back, back in the day. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's a fun, it's a rear-wheel drive, it's a sports car, it starts at $40,000. It has um, it has 400 horsepower, 350 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, obviously, I got the manual. If I hadn't got the manual, I would have been very upset. <laughs> because uh, there, there, there is a section of cars that require a manual and i think it's this this sort of enthusiast sports car that costs less than you know fifty thousand dollars it's you know the miatas the brz's the the corolla gr or gr corollas the nissan z's you know and so on and so forth so these are uh very to me these are a very special uh set of cars because these cars aren't going to sell a lot you're not going to sell a lot of these mm-hmm. cars but the people who do who buy them are very passionate so a lot of people, I've had people following me in this vehicle and taking video. I've had people waving to me, giving me a thumbs up. Um, I, what last color night, did you have? I got the blue one. Ooh, I like that color. Yeah, so I got the blue one. Um, it looks really, yeah, it's a very pretty car. My wife says it's pretty. She <laughs> likes the way it looks. Uh, my wife is very, very, uh, she's not easy to please when it comes to cars. I will come out and I'm like, look at this cool car. She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, so if she likes it, then then that that's a thumbs up. Um, good job, Nissan. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it it's it's it is. As a driver's car, it's fun. You know, you're gonna have fun. You're you know you you can, 
you can you can you can you know that back end will you can you can you can loosen it up you can break that free you know well it's got correct that, wheel drive yeah, yeah. drives as, the as rear wheels and rear steers wheels, with the fronts yeah exactly so it's you know you can you can break in break out the the back end it's a you know managed transmission is it has everything that you want from that sort of vehicle. And so I'm very happy because Nissan, again, I, I think I've said this again and again, uh, for years they were just seemed to be lost in in some in the weeds. They were essentially the car that you got at the car rental place and then <laughs> This is a nice return to form. It's you know, it's a it's it's exactly what it needs to be, except <laughs> <laughs> and I and and here's the thing is that I'm I'm saying except because I'm thinking about other people. For me, it's not really that big of a deal because I own a BRZ which has the worst infotainment system on the planet. Um, it you can plug in a, an iPhone. That's the best thing you can do. It doesn't have CarPlay or anything. But anyway, but the B uh, the the Nissan Z uh, the infotainment everything kind of feels a little old inside. Everything feels it doesn't feel like a like they put their best foot forward when it comes to the layout of the interior, um, especially when it when it comes to like infotainment and the controls. Uh, when you have uh, the the it does have auto climate controls, but when you turn the little dial, it nothing you know there's no digital number there's no nothing there's like a little 60 and a like a teeny tiny little 75 yeah. <laughs> on the on the middle dial and it's so small it's really it's actually kind of like what is that. <laughs> And you're like, oh, that's the the temperature, and you turn it to like what temperature you want. So that's how you you sort of like, oh, well, I'm right here between 60 and 75, so I'm at 70 degrees, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and there's like, yeah, all the little buttons in the climate control are actually a bit the the, the labeling is a bit too small. It, mm-hmm. I think it's there's there's you know that, that's a that's sort of an issue. Um, the infotainment system feels dated uh it's you know it, it works you can and you know you're just going to plug your phone into it so it, that's fine um that said that's not really what these cars are about i think people some people are going to take uh, you know they're going to be like oh this isn't really that nice or this isn't that's that's you know that's get an audi really yeah. is, what, is what i'm telling you if, if you're looking for a performance vehicle that also has this very nice infotainment system get an audi get a bmw get a you know if you're looking for a manual transmission, I feel like the trade-off is you're just gonna the interior the interior stuff the the, the controls does don't matter. It doesn't. <laughs> the I mean, older as, as and as to be long, honest, as the, long as your the, primary driving controls are in the right places and work, yeah, you know, everything shifter, is, pedals, shift, steering wheel, you're good. That's it. That's all you need, and that's what it has. It's uh, um, yeah. I've been driving it for a little over a week. Um, I guess I think it has cruise control i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing with if you have a manual transmission i just don't even bother with with cruise control or or you know just because first of all i don't really like cruise control on its own adaptive cruise control and manual transmission just seems like a recipe for failure um so yeah no it's it's it is a it's, it's a fun back roads cruising around town impressing your friends having people come up to you at the gas station saying, hey, how do you like it? And then me explain to them, it's not my car, but, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, giving them, giving them essentially the same spiel I'm giving you now, uh, except in five seconds. Um, it is, yeah, it has launch control. It's it's a fun car. It's, you know, you, you, you it is a, you know, it is, it is definitely, it is a driver's car. It is not, it, it is not the car 
that you buy for someone who just wants to kick back and get from point A to point B. It's for someone who wants to lean forward and have that driving experience. Again, it's 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 the uh, the the Miata, the BRZ, the GR Corolla, mm. the you know the, the two the I guess now the M2 um, BMW crowd. It's the the, the, the people who are keeping the manual tra- uh, transmission alive, those folks. And, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I, 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 people are always like, oh, millennials, Gen Z, Gen whatever. They don't know how to drive manual transmission. They're buying these cars with manual transmission. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they kind of do. A few of them are. Yeah, a few of them are. Not as many as, as I would like. But um, if you were an adult uh, in their 40s or 50s and you have children and you didn't teach them to drive a manual transmission, this is all your fault. <laughs> 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 if you're a parent... And you didn't teach your kid, you're you're the problem. I don't want to ever want to hear you complain about how man transmission is a you know Gen Z theft deterrent. No, you you <laughs> created this this problem. Also, go buy manual transmission cars. That's my. <laughs> well, I've, I've done both. I've I've bought I, I buy manual transmission cars. I try I I attempted to teach both of my kids to drive a manual. One successfully, the other one not so much. Um, and you know, so I, I did I did what I could. That's and that's all you can do. And, and also, if you don't want to learn how to drive manual transmission, that is totally fine. There's literally no reason for you to if you don't want to do that. And you, you're not less of a driver, by the way. You're not less of a car person <laughs> because you can't drive a manual. You're not less of a car person because you, if you don't work on cars, there's all different layers of car people. Mm-hmm. It's a spectrum. That's, it's a spectrum. There is a spectrum of car people. Uh, but yeah, it's, if you, if you love a if you love manual transmissions and you complain about manual transmissions, not being available, you better go out and buy a car with a manual transmission period. The end. <laughs> totally agree. Couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. And then yesterday, I just want to talk about this one car from yesterday, from, from my drive of like eight different cars. Um, I drove the 2023 Toyota GR Corolla circuit edition. Ooh. And... That was a fun car. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing how you can just pull you know three hundred horsepower out of a three a one point six liter three cylinder uh, engine. It's 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 you know it's got a turbo on it obviously to you know to get up there, but it's got a, a manual transmission. I think someone turned off the rev matching, which thank God. Uh, I, I'd rather just do that myself. The, the mm-hmm. rev matching, um, on the Z, the rev match, I'm like, uh, enough, enough. I, you know, if, if rev matching is cool and fun, but it's funner if you kind of learn how to do it. Um, I drove that on, Angel- I drove the GR Corolla on Angeles Crest Highway. Um, and it was fantastic. I cannot say enough good things about this vehicle. It is the hot hatch. It is the quintessential. It's small. It's agile. It's fast it handles like there's no tomorrow it is ridiculous everything about this vehicle is ridiculous and i want one so bad <laughs> and i you know every I, i'd seen some people are like oh you know the gr corolla it's really great and people were very excited about it when it came out and i was just like you know i like the styling of the new corolla the new hatchback and i was like oh okay man if the hype yes the hype is is real it is a it is a wonderful vehicle a good luck getting one by the way i don't know how i i just figured this yeah i'm sure they probably be. won't build very many of them yeah now yeah, which which is a shame because if you can if you can keep if people keep wanting it you should keep building it don't be like well we're only going to sell 5000 units so we're only going to make but if like 10000 people want it i don't know make 10000 i don't <laughs> or at least 9990 of them 
Yeah. As, as you know, as, as I think I can't remember if it was Enzo Ferrari or somebody said, you know, always build exactly one fewer than there are demand than there is demand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do that. It's it, I don't know. It's it. I I. I I feel like Toyota has, there are two, there's, the spectrum of Toyota is pretty wide. You have these very solid, slightly boring cars. You know, the RAV4 is a wonderful vehicle. Is it exciting? Mm. No. <laughs> it's a RAV4. Yeah. The Camry, the, the regular Corolla, again, wonderful vehicles. Exciting? Mm. <laughs> Not so much. And then on the other side, they have the Supra, they have the GR86, and now they have this GR Corolla, which... Man, I mean, I, I, I had the 300 horsepower one. Um, you can get, but I think they start at 30,000. This one starts at 43,000. So you're paying a premium for that extra, that extra horsepower. Um, but even the, you know, the, the $30,000 one, that is a. Well, you also get uh, a carbon fiber roof on the circuit edition. Um, That's true, but it's. Torsen you know, diffs at both It ends. just looks like your roof is dirty all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And the and dips are great, especially on, the, you know, on that back road, yeah. on that uh, Andrews Cuss Highway. That thing was, it was just tearing it up. And it's such a, you know, that's the teeny tiny wheelbase is about as long as long as my arm. Yeah. I was just like, you know, it was, it was, it was tearing up the the road. Um, and then, you know, and then I kept getting stuck behind Porsche people who don't know how to drive, <laughs> and 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 people who are just commuting on that road, which mm-hmm. I always feel bad for those people because <laughs> they're always just like. <sighs> these idiots again <laughs> so i just i'm just trying to get to work and these idiots and their gr girls would would you take this or a, or a civic type r oh i would take this yeah yeah i love you know and i love the civic type r i think the 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 way they have uh i don't know what sort of magician or sorcerer or or whoever who um got rid of like all you know at least reduced um understeer i don't know how they did that that's just they're just magicians over there at honda to do that uh but this is this is something else this is something very very special um i don't think we're gonna i don't i mean are we gonna get something like this again i, mean, I would be surprised yeah, i think um, this is this i would be surprised if there's a, a second generation of this car yeah and who else is gonna make something like this i mean we have wrx which is you know the wrx um but this is a you know, this is next level insanity. And yeah, it really yeah, comes down got, to it. You got stuff like the Golf R, which is kind of a very different kind of yeah. car from this. I think the Golf R has been very um, smoothed out mm-hmm. over the last two generations, which is, you know, I think I think for your average sort of enthusiast, you just want to like, hey, I got the Golf R, that's fine. But for the hardcore people who, who, who bought the Golf R because of this sort of white knuckling, like shoving, you know, tossing it in the second gear and then and then you know those 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 folks are you know they're slightly disappointed um i i prefer the gti at this point mm-hmm. over the golf over the r now so, I so do like. i because it's lighter and more nimble even yeah. though it doesn't have as much power it it it's easier to throw around the golf the golf r has so much capability that you know it almost feels um it's too smooth you know it just it yeah. feels like it's running on rails yeah yeah it feels a little it doesn't have that sort of yeah that white knuckling that there's none of, none of that edginess yeah the edginess is sort of gone it's it's a wonderful car um and if you're looking for a performance all-wheel drive vehicle that 
um, you're going to have fun in, but you're not, but, but you're also going to feel a bit safe. Yeah. <laughs> the Golf R is the one that's the, yeah, it's, it's the safer choice between that and the GR, the GR Corolla. You're just like, Oh my God. Let, okay. Let's try and, this a little bit faster. Let's try this a little bit quicker. Let's try this a little bit tighter. Let's, and he's just like, yeah, let's do this. It's like your crazy meth-addled, uh, like, like college roommate who kept talking you into going to raves. And, <laughs> like, and then, you know, this. if that circuit edition's not enough for you, you know, there's also the Marizo edition, which they announced at the Toyota Palooza in June, uh, where Marizo is the nickname of Akio Toyota. Um, oh yeah. And so the this one is a, a lighter weight version. It has the same power, same 300 horsepower. But um, it's a two-seater. They take, took out the back seat. They added some stiffening stuff. And um, it's uh, manual manual only. Um, it's got, uh, what, front, front brake cooling ducts, um, different seats in it with higher, more stiffer bolsters, bigger bolsters, uh, and holes for a four-point harness. So it's... That is- that's your track car. That's, but, that's but, the car you're taking to the track. Yeah. But they're only they're only going to have 200 of those in the U.S. And and it's already and sold out, I'm sure. Almost certainly, yeah. So yeah, the circuit edition, fantastic. I mean, either I, I haven't driven the, the, I guess the entry level version, but I'm <laughs> sure it's fine. Uh, I think you're you're going to have just as much fun in that vehicle as you would in this one. Um, if you're, especially if you're younger and you're sort of newer to this sort of driving experience maybe don't get the most powerful one get the you know, work well, your way they're out. actually all the same 300 horsepower oh they are oh i thought the yeah other one was a yeah there's lower. no extra power uh just some suspension tweaks uh i think different tires uh, oh well never mind then then ignore yeah. me <laughs> ignore everything i just said um uh, either way oh you gonna... do get you do get slightly more torque so the the core That's is 273 is. foot pounds and the uh Circuit, uh, the circuit's also 273. So the circuit's exactly the same. The Marizo has 295 foot-pounds of torque. So you get an extra 22 foot-pounds of torque. Same same horsepower. A little extra something-something. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, get, yeah, buy this car. If you you have the money (laughs) and you like driving and you're into performance driving and into hot hatches, um, you know, Americans are always, you know, people are like, oh, there's no hatchbacks. I'm like, have you seen? There's a golf right there. Yeah. <laughs> people are like, how come, how come no one, how come no one ever sells a hatchback? And I'm just looking at the golf. I'm like, what do you mean? Why did, what do you mean there's no hatch there? <laughs> and then they bring hatchbacks and then no one buys them and then they go away and then we all have SUVs. So you have to, you, you can't complain if you're not buying. And if you are buying and you're like me and you're just like, oh, well, I am buying, but I can't get my friends to buy, then I understand. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, I had um, actually had it the last time that you and I talked um, a week and a, a little over a week ago, uh, the Lucid Air. Uh, again, um, I had had it back in September when I was out in California for a couple of days, drove it from L.A. up to Santa Barbara and back uh, with a detour through some canyons. Um, at that time, the car still had the original version of the infotainment software in it. And uh, about three or so weeks ago, uh, Lucid uh, put out a updated, a completely updated version of the software um, with um, uh, the, you know, they basically almost completely rewrote it from the ground up, added a bunch of new features. 90%? Yeah. Just for the infotainment system. 90% of the code is new. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, because of 
uh, an issue I had that I think I talked about before where the, at one point the system had completely locked up on me. Uh, Lucid reached out and said, hey, we've got a car uh, in Detroit. You know, it's got the new software in it. We'd like to get you in it for a couple of days to try it out so you can see what the new UX 2.0 is like. And I said, well, okay, if you twist my arm and you insist, <laughs> you know, I, I will drive it again for a couple of days. Fine. If you're going to make me drive another Lucid. <laughs> and so this was, again, a, a Grand Touring. Um, and this was on the 21-inch the wheels. Uh, so there, there's two variants of the Grand Touring that are available right now. And I think later this week as we're recording, I think on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, Lucid's going to be officially announcing the, the base Pure Edition and uh, I think I forget what the, the other term touring. level is. Just Touring. Touring, yeah. So the, the Pure and the Touring. Uh, but the Grand Touring um, has two variants. The, the standard Grand Touring has 819 horsepower. And if that's not enough for you, and what the hell's wrong with you if it's not enough for you in a car like this, uh, you can get the Grand Touring Performance with 1,050 horsepower. Um, and I had the, the variant with the 21-inch wheels. Um, and if you live somewhere in northern parts of the country where they get winter weather and correspondingly terrible roads, um, and you want to get a Lucid, I, and actually this, this is not, this, this is not just about Lucid. I would say pretty much any car, don't get the biggest wheels and tires you can get. Don't, or at least not the biggest <laughs> wheels with the, with the absolute least amount of sidewall. Um, it looks cool when it's sitting there, but you know, if you, you know, if you look at a pothole, there's a good chance you're going <laughs> to break a tire or bend a wheel. <laughs> you're going to go where you look, by the way. So if you yeah. look at the pothole, you're just going to drive right into it. <laughs> and, uh, so I went out to dinner with my wife uh, and coming back, um, hit a pothole, which was not a particularly big pothole by Southeast Michigan standards. Um, and then I heard this hissing sound. What is that sound? And and I slowed down and it slowed down a little bit. And, it, and I stopped and the hissing kind of stopped. And I got out and I looked at the right or the left front tire and I saw that ooh that's not good um and it it had gone um a little bit flat not too uh, flat because you know with so with so little sidewall there's not much room for it to kind of flex out and, and look flat it's just a rubber band over a tire pretty much <laughs> over a yeah. wheel. and I wasn't far from home so I managed to I, I crept along you know um at about 10 miles an hour to to get home and get into the driveway because uh, I didn't want to leave it in a random neighborhood. Um, and then sent an email to my contacts at Lucid and at the fleet company that brought it over and said, hey, uh, you guys don't happen to have a spare wheel and tire for this thing, do you? Because uh, if not, you're going to need to bring over a flatbed on Monday when you come to pick it up. <laughs> and this was on Friday night. Uh, and, uh, oh, it's always the worst when it's like on, on the weekend. Yeah, so there's... so Dave, Dave, Dave got back to me and said, we, we can get a... Um, a mobile service unit out to you tomorrow. And so a uh, mobile service van came out. It, it was based in Grand Rapids, which is on the west side of Michigan. I'm in the southeast side of Michigan. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive away. Oof. But he, he had to stop by Coldwater, Michigan, to pick up um, a, a wheel and tire and then come to my house. And so they finally got here about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and he was actually, while the last time you and I were recording, he arrived and was changing oh, yeah. that tire. 
Um, and so then after he left, then uh, I was able to drive it some more, and I made sure to be more careful about the, uh, um, the potholes and stuff. And I took it out on Sunday morning for a couple of hours and drove around uh, and had a lot of fun with it, really enjoyed driving it. Um, and the, the new software is definitely a big improvement. Uh, I mean, you also had a chance to drive it with, with UX 2.0. What did you think of it? It is such an improvement because I'd, I'd driven a bunch of Lucid Airs over, I don't know, however long it's been. A time, about time a year. Is, yeah, about a year. So I, I, I live in the Bay Area. I've done a lot of it. I've, I've had, just happened to do a lot of exclusives with Lucid before. So I, you know, I'm on their short list, essentially, which isn't a brag. It's just why I've driven the car so often. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, there. You know, I remember the first the first car re- like reviewed, reviewed. Like this, you know, you push a button and something. You need to wait a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes it would go, and then sometimes it'd be like, hey, you need to hold on. And they were very forthcoming. They're like, hey, this is pre-production. This is kind of. And then the next vehicle was production, and it's still like it needed. You know, you could tell it it, it needed something. It it wasn't you know it wasn't Volkswagen you know ID4 at launch bad, but it wasn't you know great. And you use. And now, you know, the, the, with the new rewrite, it's so much quicker. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with they, they you know, they, the guy who's running it is from Apple. I mean, he's, mm. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I know over-the-air updates. I know how these work. I know how to write, you know, I have to write stuff for an iPhone, which millions and millions, you know, pe- millions and millions of people had to have to use. And it can't be, like, janky. You know, it has to be quick. It has to be fast because you're going up against Android and, I guess, at some point, BlackBerry and, and Windows. Um but yeah, so it's it is it is uh, so much quicker than it was before. Um, you know, in my time with it, I think I had an hour and a half, and I was just like clicking around like crazy, just trying to see if I could get it to to slow down. And you know, and and it you know, there's very little latency. They also moved those buttons over to the left hand side, those sort of mm-hmm. hot buttons. They were on the right hand side, which was sort of weird. So it was great for the passenger. Hey, can you hit yeah. the, the the? And so they moved that over. They moved the like went the the uh, button to open the front over to the left hand you know they made a bunch of adjustments based on feedback from customers and based on just sort of like looking at it and be like oh we thought this was a good idea turns out let's do this instead and so it's 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 good you know you you have to keep moving especially in, you know in any company if you're not moving you're dying is, is really what it comes to so if you're not learning if you're not moving then you're 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 doing yourself and your customers a disservice so I think it's you know like they could have just sped it up and then just left it how it is and said, hey, you know what? We know what's best. Instead, they like sped it up and listened to their customers. So, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It was definitely much better. The one, the one kind of complaint I still have is that <clears throat> you know you've got the you've got the the upper displays, you know the the uh, cockpit panel, mm-hmm. I think it is, uh, where you've got you know the, the the little set of controls on the left, the instrument cluster, and your main infotainment screen. And then there's what they call the pilot panel, which is the other touchscreen that at the bottom retracts into the dashboard uh, below the vents. And then you know you tap on it, and it comes out and tap and flips down, and uh, gives you some extra screen real estate there. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I would like, still like to see them change, is offer the ability to have different things on the top and bottom screen, because right now. You know, if you are in navigation, you know, you get uh, on the lower screen, you'll kind of get kind of an overview of your route 
and then you, you know the 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 zoomed in version on the upper screen. Uh, if you go to media controls, you get you know some media controls on the top, and then you know other stuff, media related stuff down in the, on the bottom screen. What I'd like is to have you know let's say navigation control, you know the navigation view on the top. And then the media controls on the bottom, or you know, some some combination of, of two different things. Yeah. So I want to be able accessible. to control media and see where I'm going at the same yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm sure they'll probably say, "Well, you also have navigation on the dash cluster." I'm like, "No, no, no, that is not the." <laughs> I want two things. You got two screens. The yeah. two screens shouldn't be run by one thing. <laughs> All right. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, and that's a relatively minor quibble. I mean, this is still a fantastic car. I still really like driving this car. I love the way it looks. Um, you know, I love the way everything feels inside. You know, and I think that they've done a pretty nice job of balancing, you know, stuff that's in the touchscreen interface and some physical controls. You know, you've got a, a row of switches uh, across the middle of the dash you know, for the temperature and fan speed for the front passenger and, and driver, uh, and then the, the volume control in the middle there. Um, you know, so you don't have to go searching in the, in the uh, cluster or in the touch screens for that. Um, you've some of the controls for the wipers, like for, you know, for wiper speed for the intermittent wipers is in the touch interface, but your basic controls to turn it on and off and stuff is on the, on the stock. And, you know, same thing goes with the, um, or actually it's on the, um, I think it's on the left-hand side, that little left-hand side control panel for the wipers. But at any rate, it's the stuff is mostly readily accessible, uh, and you don't have to go digging for the most part through multiple layers of menus. So, um, they're good job, Lucid. You know, you're moving in the right direction. It's improving. It's gotten a lot better. And looking forward to UX 3.0. When you'll be able to have music and the map on the stage. <laughs> exactly. That's yes. all we want. We just want two things at once. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's the Lucid Air Grand Touring, um, $154,000. Um, the, um, the Pure, uh, which is going to be coming out soon, uh, I think it's going to start uh, around $88,000. Um, there's also the Grand Touring, uh, performance, uh, with, uh, 1,050 horsepower and then the Sapphire, uh, which is coming out, what, what was that next year, next summer fall yeah, something yeah 1200 uh, horse over 1200 yeah, 1200 horsepower and <laughs> it's, just, it's, uh, like, it's just, just okay yeah <laughs> three motors 1200 horsepower they're to 60 in under <clears throat> two seconds okay yeah. sure like that whatever I, at, at some point it, yeah the, the, three seconds two seconds it doesn't you know, matter anymore yeah it's irrelevant at that point the the yeah. zero to I think I wrote what I, I somewhere I wrote this week that the zero to sixty wars are over. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not yeah. a thing that we should even be concerned about because everything can go. And the EV six can outrun a hurricane. Hur- hur- so <laughs> yeah. One uh, one one other thing that is not directly re- related to Lucid, but while I had it, I took it over to the EA station because I wanted to see you know how fast it would charge, and I got over there and. Um, both of the, the 350 kilowatt chargers were in use. One was being used, and there was a couple of 150s that were not being used. One was being used by a Polestar 2. The other one was being used by a Chevy Bolt. <laughs> it's the, the the Chevy Bolt is the one. That's the one you always talk about. Like, yeah, you're going to get the 350. is going to be a I mean, Bolt sitting there. I, I, because... I love the Bolt, but you know, I mean, it only charges at 50 kilowatts. It only charges at 50. And maybe if you're Don't lucky, use the 350 kilowatt charger if there's a 150 available. 
this is really comes down to people not understanding like how yeah. with their charge rates and when people when and automakers like push back on me asking how fast is a charge and they only give me the time oh it goes from like five percent to eighty percent in 15 20 30 40 40 minutes i'm like no what is the number because yeah. people need to know the number when they well, go to the electrify america is going to fix that because they're going to put hypercharge and ultra charge stickers on those chargers so that'll that fix everything it, does, it only fixes it on their end. It doesn't fit, which I still can't remember which one's faster. I, neither do I. Is one should be like, or ultra, one, or ultra should be, one should be fast and the other should be hella fast. That's yeah, like exactly. how, because you're like, oh, okay, I understand. This is fast yeah. plus or something. But yeah, when you don't, when automakers don't give or don't readily share the charge rate of their vehicles, they're doing everyone a disservice because you end up with Chevy Bolts. <laughs> Plugged into 350 kilowatt 350 chargers. kilowatt chargers. That's what happens. Like, just tell us what the charge rate is. And people are like, well, I've never cared about it. I'm like, yeah, but when you go to the charge station and you realize that your car that charges at 225 kilowatts is being blocked by a Chevy Bolt, <laughs> <laughs> then you're definitely going to realize, oh, that information should be given out to everyone from everyone. Because in the real world, it does, it does matter. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, apparently, uh, there's still somebody out there who thinks that uh, Faraday Future has a chance of the surviving. future. That Faraday Future is the future. Um, evidently, according to Automotive News uh, this morning, um, they have um, signed a deal to raise up to $350 million uh, as they uh, look to roll out the FF91. Uh, the company said that uh, financing from an affiliate of Yorkville Advisors Global, uh, starting with an initial commitment of $200 million, will give it financial flexibility to start production and deliver its cars to customers. Um yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Advisors Global. Let's just do a quick search on that. <laughs> it's 2001, so it's not like some – they've been around. <laughs> Flexible uh, solution. Yeah. Right. Shareholders last week approved a reverse stock split after the company received a notice. Uh, when, one of the things, when you're a public company, um, if your uh, share price drops below a uh, dollar a share for 30 straight trading days, um, you get start to get – uh, emails from uh, the stock market for this from the stock exchange saying, "Hey, uh, you better do something about your stock price, or we're going to have to delist you." And so um, that was the case with Faraday, and they uh, approved a reverse stock split. So um, that that means that you know they're going to combine shares. You know that are you know so if, I, I'm not sure what the current share price is, but say it's fifty fifty cents a share. You know if it's a ten for one or one for ten reverse split. Uh, that'll bump the price up to five dollars. So that'll that'll you know keep them on the on the listing for 
at least a few more weeks until the price drops again. So it's such a, I, they're still, the the fact that they're still around just is, is, it sort of boggles my mind. Cause I remember when the verge did a piece about it was, they were just sort of falling apart and they immediately had us all down to their headquarters in Hawthorne, I believe, or Mm -hmm. Torrance, somewhere in LA, Hawthorne or Torrance, somewhere around there. And we walked through, and, you know, they had a row of desks, but they're all, like, right next to where we were walking. They're like, oh, all this area where there's nobody right now is where we're going to expand. And they went down, they showed us the car, and we walked through, you know, the whole, uh, the headquarters. Oh, it was Gardena. This is right here in the in the article. Um, is where their headquarters was. And we looked around, and they just kept saying, how like, oh, we're doing this, and we're going to do this all in-house. We're going to do all this in-house. We're going to do all, they were, everything was going to be built in-house. And the the more the, the the automotive reporters were just like, what, what, what why? <laughs> I guess some because you don't. That's not how you build cars. You you know you do most. You, you have to outsource for a lot of things. You can't build every single thing in house. You have to order things from from tier one suppliers. That's why they're tier one suppliers. And they were just like, no, we're going to build it all. <laughs> it was like, and by the end of the the tour. Based on all the stuff they had shown us, the car felt like it was going to be three hundred fifty thousand dollars. It felt like it was going to be a three hundred fifty thousand dollar car, and you're just like, I don't. Do these people know what's going on? Do they understand how to build? <laughs> it felt very much like someone had given them some money, and we're just gonna we're gonna make a car. It'll be fun. It'll you know it'll be great. But yeah, it felt. And since then, they've gone through like twelve, fifteen, twenty-five CEOs, and I don't think anyone who works there now worked there when I went on the tour. So it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting it's gonna be a fun uh, Netflix documentary is what I'm telling you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or maybe a, a Hulu miniseries or something. Or a Hulu, yeah, a Hulu miniseries from, from from the creators of the uh, We Crashed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I remember uh, a couple of months ago reading. Uh, he was Abigail Bassett wrote a piece in ours. She had a chance to go for a ride in the, the prototype or pre-production car at um, uh, Monterey Car Week this week. It was summer. And um, she was not impressed. <laughs> yeah, no, She's, she was just like, <sighs> because we've had so much time to work yeah. on this car. I, I In that tour back in, God, who knows when, um, they had us ride, ride in mules. They had all-wheel drive mules. Mm-hmm. They were very proud that they were all-wheel drive. And they're like, yeah, they're all-wheel drive. And of course, the car people—the first thing that popped out of my mouth was like, oh, like the like the Honda Prelude. Can remember the Honda Prelude in the '90s had an all-wheel drive version. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 like the you know. And they're trying to come up with a more with a newer vehicle. And we, of course, you know, we all, you know, and I think they they thought that we were that the, the Prelude was a great car. <laughs> there yeah. No, that no generation of Prelude was bad. And I, but they were just like, no, 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 because they were, they were you know they wanted us to to. to to align it with a luxury with a luxury brand, and they drove us around. And we're like, okay, that's great. We're you know we're in a essentially a mule with like no interior, no nothing in, in, on a parking lot. But yeah, it's been a it's it's been a minute, and we still don't have a car. And we, well, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe yeah. in five more years we'll have a the F1 F1. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, yeah. No, no one should be holding their breath for an F F1. Whatever All right. it's called now. <laughs> Um, so last week, uh, you went to, um, Italy. I went to Italy and I spent the entire time with Germans. It was, 
I was. It was funny because I got there and I I had dinner with some Germans and then I, I I was there with a German automaker and then when I got to the room the TV was in Italian and I was very confused. <laughs> <laughs> Did they at least feed you Italian food? Oh yeah, I guess they had some Italian food or something. It was <laughs> it was a very very quick trip where we we ate at the hotel and mm. I I'm gonna share a little bit of information with you, uh, uh, viewers. Every hotel in the world has the exact same menu. <laughs> yes. I don't care what country you're in. I don't care if you're in Europe. I don't care if you're in Asia. I don't care if you're in Africa. I don't care if you're in the United States, Canada, Mexico. Everyone has the essentially the exact same menu. And it's all that same level of just like, eh, it's food. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that's especially true, you know, if you're on an automaker trip, you know, and they have, have a dinner, you know, because no matter what restaurant you're at, you know, hotel or outside of the hotel, you know, no matter what's on the normal menu there, they'll have a when you sit down at dinner, you know, there will be a card there with the menu for that that dinner. And, you know, they'll have, you know, salad, some appetizer. Um, and then you'll have your choice of, you know, some form of beef, you know, like a fillet or, you know, some steak, you know, um, a chicken dish and usually a fish uh, course and then a, a, maybe a vegetarian as well. Uh, and then dessert. And, you know, you select if you want chicken, fish, or beef. It's just like a wedding. And, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm no. flying around the world going to a wedding. Is what You'd be at a three-star three star Michelin restaurant, and those are your choices. And it's, yeah, just, it's, it's pretty it's, much the same thing every is, automaker trip you go on. Yeah, some, sometimes you'll get lucky. Good. Yeah, it's, it's usually good, but it's, 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 it's very nice sometimes when they take us away from the hotel and they go to, like, a local restaurant. You're like, yay, and they're just like, here's mm -hmm. the menu. But most of the time you're just yeah. Anyway, so I'm in the hotel. I didn't have any. I didn't have an exciting Italian adventure. Um, I did get to drive the 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 Taycan around Italy, so that was nice. But most part, I was at the Porsche Experience Center in Italy, and they showed off um, their uh, PPE, their upcoming PPE platform, and they talked about uh, what it means for you know the PPE is going to be for the Macan and the uh, the Cayenne. Um, I always want to say Cheyenne because I was doing a dry program once and me and uh, Steve Ewing kept making a joke about the Cheyenne. <laughs> was it a um, Cayenne program in Cheyenne? It was a Cayenne. No, it was a Cayenne program here in the in the uh, Bay Area. But it's, you know, in those in, – I, I, people are going to be like, oh, you know, those aren't real Porsches. The, the A, because they're SUVs, and B, because they're going to be EVs. They, they are real Porsches. If you've driven a Macan or a Cayenne, it drives just like a bigger, taller Porsche. It's 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 not a – you, 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 the, the reason Porsches cost so much is because you get in a Porsche and drive it, and you'll know exactly why a Porsche costs so much. Um, so, yeah, so we talked about PPE. We talked a little bit about um, – and we talked about Formula E, the Gen 3 with the 99X. I got a ride in the GT4 E Performance, which is their electric uh, race car, which is they're going to use to as a test bed to inform them on building EVs for – they're uh, race car customers. You know, they're people who just buy you know, very expensive Porsche race cars that they take to the track, and that's what they do. Um, overall, it's you know, it, it's 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 a you know, a lot of people are there. A lot of automakers are sort of like, well, this is our our platform, and we have one platform. And Porsche has a couple platforms. <laughs> you know, they and they're sharing these platforms with with Audi. Um, you know, PPE especially. Um, they have the sports car platform, which will be for the uh, the Cayman. And then they have another platform, which I, escapes me. You get, yeah, you get Cayman and, and Boxster and... Cayman, nine, Boxster. 911. 
and 911 will likely be a hybrid. Okay. It's, it's going to be a, the, 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 nine, the 911 EV is not something that we should be looking for, is what I've been told. Um, just because it feels like the 911 is a very special vehicle. And because it is special, they could, you know, I think they, they're going to try to keep a, um, an actual engine in that vehicle as long as possible. And Porsche has been doing a lot of work with, uh, with biofuels and synthetic mm-hmm. fuels. So I think that's, that's, that's where they're going with that vehicle. Um, so don't look, you know, don't, don't be on the, the lookout for a complete EV 911, at least not for a very long time. I think, you know, the Cayman, I'm very excited about a Cayman uh, and a Boxster. Um, EV, especially after dr- riding that GT4 e performance, and I know that's that's like the 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 craziest. Yeah, I mean, they, of they the showed craziest. that one at L- the LA show last year. Yeah, I know that's the yeah. craziest of the crazy um, uh, of of vehicles, but it's Porsche. You know, they're they're that's what they're that's their 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 whole deal is how do we make this a Porsche. And that's, you know, with the Taycan, I really believe that when the Taycan came out, all the chassis engineers at every other automaker drove the Taycan and went, oh, man, let's go back and fix that thing. <laughs> <laughs> because it drives, it, it's such a wonderfully a wonderful driving experience for for a big EV, to be uh, to be honest. I mean, it's a big sedan or it's a big wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, we, we saw, I saw the Mule, the Macan Mule. Um, it's not what the Macan's going to look like, the Macan EV. Um, but they showed us the mule, uh, they gave us some information about how, you know, they're making sure they're actually putting the motor, the rear motor behind the rear axle in order to and get the Macan that, EV of uh, the Macan EV to get a little bit more rear bias driving, oh, because okay. that's what, that's how Porsche thinks. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we're making everyone else is like, we're going to make an EV and it's going to be nice. And we'll just throw some, some suspension. Porsche's like, you know, if we move the engine a little bit behind here, it's going to give a little bit more weight back here. It's going to get a little bit more rear bias as you're driving, so you get more of a Porsche experience. That is how Porsche builds cars. And that's yeah, how because they're... with an EV, you know, usually the battery spans most of the distance between the axles, and that's the biggest chunk of weight. And so you usually end up with something that's pretty close to 50-50. Yeah. And so Porsche's like, yeah, we're just going to we're gonna, we're gonna change it a little bit. We're going to move it over here to the, to the, to the back. Um, and also get rear wheel steering, which is nice, mm-hmm. um, which I am a big fan of any, any large vehicle, any large SUV at this point, if you're not putting rear steering on a, you know, anything luxury or expensive, anything above 50, $60,000, you're, you're, you're messing up is what, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, because once, once, once you go rear wheel steering on one <laughs> of these vehicles, these large vehicles, you're just like, I don't, I can't see how I could like, do, do anything else. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it was pretty impressive. And then. They also showed off, you know, I said the 99X uh, race vehicle, which which they designed based on what they were told to make, <laughs> which right. is, you know, it's well, Formula it's, E. It's it's you know, it's like Formula One. They're like, okay, you have to make this car like this, and well, then you well, have to like adjust it within your, you know, you have the parameters, and then you design your car. Yeah, well, with, with Formula E, the way it works is there's a spec chassis that everybody uses. Everybody gets the same chassis, but manufacturers can create their own drivetrain. And as you said, there's some there's some specs, you know, and maximum maximum power output, um, and you know, there's also a spec battery, um, and you know, with within that though, you know, they have some leeway to try to optimize efficiency because that's really important in a race car, because um, you know, if everybody's got the same amount of battery capacity, if you want to go faster, you got to use less energy to do it, and yeah, it's. It's it's sort of crazy because um, 
the uh, the amount of power that was sent back to regenerative braking on the Gen 2 vehicles was 250 kilowatts. So you, the, you know, slam on the brakes and the most amount of power you send back to the vehicle is 250 kilowatts, which is essentially the charge rate of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now it's 600 kilowatts. So when you if you slam on the brakes, you can get up to 600 kilowatts back to the battery in that vehicle. So they were saying that the uh, now the amount of power um, that was used in the in the race was like 25 percent, and now it is uh, 60. It was 40 percent. So it went from 25 to 40 percent of the amount of power. So when you're racing around, 25 uh, percent of that power that you're using to finish your race was from regenerative braking, and now it's mm-hmm. going to be 40 percent, which is a huge, huge jump. Um, so that's that's. I mean, if you just, I mean, you're going really fast and you're slamming the brakes pretty hard, yeah. but it's still, you know, it's all these little things are, are really, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, um, you know, Formula E is only 45 minutes long. You just, just race into the essential. So it's a it's, sprint. Yeah. yeah. It's a sprint. And there's a lot of passing. There's a lot of like bumping into each other. It's a, it's a very aggressive race. Um, and you know, they only have a certain amount of, of, of uh, test days they can do. Mm-hmm. And so none of the test days involve them running into under, other cars. So they did all the stuff to the car, and someone is like, well, what happens if you run into the other car? We're like, I guess we'll just do <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, we'll kind of put their, we'll see, put their hands in the air, like, well, we'll see. Hopefully it'll be okay. But that's, it's such a, you know, the, the, it's, it's really interesting. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, I did, uh, did a video about it, and I talk about how, you know, Formula One is the big one. You know, you got Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton, you got, uh, and, and you had the Netflix series, and, but, Formula E, I, I've been to one race, and it's just so bonkers. Just like we gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> it's just... it is. It is pretty wild. I, I went to uh, the uh, the New York race in 2019, and it, you know, it's it's pretty intense. Seeing <clears throat> um, those cars, yeah, because it's on a, they're on street circuits. You know, they're very tight street circuits, and yeah, they're not as fast as Formula One cars, but they they look really cool. They make a really wild sound. You know, they sound kind of like Star Wars Tie Fighters. Yeah, um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it, yeah. But it, it's you, you mentioned you know the the amount of regen braking they're getting now, and I think part, a big reason why it's getting so much more now. The the last car, the old cars, um, only had the motor generator unit on the rear axle. The rear rear wheel drive race cars, they only had the the motor on the rear axle. There's a limit to how much regen braking you can do on the rear because you know as you as you brake you get weight transfer off the rear axle and if you brake too hard on the rear axle then you know the car gets unstable and back end swings around and so now they've added a motor generator unit on the front axle which is not being used for all-wheel drive it's just being used for regen so you're getting all this regen off the off the front axle um so you can do a lot more regen as i understand there's not even any friction brakes on the rear axle now right on the new car? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I yeah. was I was very confused by the press, press release. It was like, there's two powertrains, one in the front, one in the back. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and then finally they had to explain to me, they're like, it's not all-wheel drive. I'm like, oh, it's 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 only for regenerative braking. I'm like, oh, okay. That makes more sense. Because it's like, so they're harvesting what? power from the from the front wheels and then putting it back out, out the back. Yeah, so it's, you know, the, and, you know all, this, all this information that Porsche is learning from from the uh, GT4 e-performance, from the Taycan, and from you know Formula E, they're going to be putting in these 
these upcoming uh, platforms because that's who Porsche is. And uh, based on just based on like how nice the Taycan is, and it's been out for a couple of years now. Um, you know, if you are, if you have any, I, I don't have any real concerns about driving an EV Porsche in the future. I feel like this is a company that really quite, really understands who they're, who they are, what they should be building and their trans, uh, and, and their transfer or their, their evolution into EVs is, is, uh, it's, it's, it seems like a, you know, I know it's a couple different platforms, but it's, I mean, that's a smart play for them. So when is the Macan EV going to come out? The Makani EV comes out, I believe, next year. Hold on, I'm looking at my notes. I have so many notes for so many things going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where is it at? Da, 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 when the, 2024, when the okay. Macan hits the market. So, so we'll probably that? see it next year and then go yeah, to sale we'll, the year after. Yeah, they'll be they'll they'll probably they'll unveil it somewhere, and then we'll. Uh, We'll see it on the streets in 2024 at some point, and then we can see you know how PPE really works out. Okay, cool. Um, all right, do we have uh, one listener email? Um, and uh, as I mentioned uh, last time when I was recording with Nicole, um, given all the chaos going on at Twitter, um, want to remind everybody that Twitter is not the only way to send us your questions and comments. You can also email us at uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, and, uh, and that gives you, you know, if you want to ask a little bit longer question or a little more detail, you can, you can do that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think I'm also going to probably set up a discord, uh, server for wheel bearings. So you can, you'll be able to provide feedback that way as well. Um, and, we got um, one email, Jonathan Bonestiel, um, already uh, listened to the episode that I recorded with Nicole yesterday uh, after I put it out last night and um, sent, sent in an email this morning. Um, says, uh, enjoyed the episode last night. Realize your focus is not e-bikes, but wanted to share that there are very nice ones at a bit lower price point. Because one of the things I talked yesterday about, um, you know, I tried out some e-bikes at the Electrify Expo in Austin. And they were all priced between about four thousand and six thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. I got like I got ten e bikes, no, eight e bikes in my garage right now. They're all under like two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have so many e bikes? Because I'm doing an e bike roundup for oh, for okay. USA Today. So I, right. I yeah so yeah e bikes are dope. All right, yeah. sorry, right, carry on. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, John says uh, my my wife and I have had uh, Van Move X3 bikes for two years and they're great. Uh, all in with a theft recovery system that promises that they will track down a stolen bike and return it to you or replace it if they can't find it. Uh, they were around $3,000 each. So that's quite a bit cheaper, and, and sound, it sounds like you've got some that are even cheaper than that. And I was looking around, there, there's something like Rad Power bikes you can get for yeah. between 1000 and 2000 bucks. Yeah, I got a Rad Power uh, in the garage right now. Yeah. Uh, so great design, and the boost is all you need for the hills around Ann Arbor or San Francisco. Uh, the newer models are even better. Uh, with the trails around Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti, I guess Jonathan lives not far from me here somewhere, uh, I tool around all over the place and love it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, on Volvo, um, he, we replaced our 2017 XC90 last week with a 2023 V60 Cross Country Ultimate, and we're very happy. We're, uh, you both are right on the movement away from physical buttons, which annoys me at times as well. On the V60, a couple of changes supporting our argument. 
Uh, I used to really like a manual dimmer wheel for the display. That's now gone, and you have to use the menu system to change it. Uh, didn't try the Hey G word to do this, um, but perhaps this is the solution. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I haven't tried that with uh, with Google Assistant to see if that works. Um, I know you can do adjust climate control and things like that with with Assistant, but I don't know if you can do things like dim the dim the cluster. Uh, he says he'll try later. Also, um, there used to be a button on the center stack of buttons for the glove box. Interesting choice, um, but I like the quick I like the quirkiness of it. Now on the V60, it's back to a, a regular manual latch. Boo. Uh, great car though, and I love the mild hybrid drivetrain. So, um, I, I will say that manual like buttons for 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 um, for glove boxes are actually pretty nice because if you get in an accident and you have to like get information out of the glove box, mm -hmm. if the car's going wonky because you know you're in an accident, or if you get pulled over and or you get pulled over, you're like, hold on, I mean, I gotta do some, I gotta do some, I gotta play mine, my Minecraft on my my car in order to get to the thing. Uh, one aside, <clears throat> when you use navigation with CarPlay, uh, the map section in the center of the Speedo TAC display goes completely dark. That's something I didn't try out. I'll have to try that on the next um, huh. next Volvo I get because you know, when you're using the, the Android automotive system, it shows Google Maps in the instrument cluster. So I guess um, if you – and now it supports CarPlay as well. But if you're using Apple Maps or using Maps from, from CarPlay – then I guess it turns off the Google Maps in the cluster, and, and it doesn't. Sh it, it has no way of showing you the the Apple Maps as an alternative in there, um, which is that's... unfortunate. Uh, hopefully they hopefully that's something they fix in the future, and I'll I'll make sure next time I talk to somebody from Volvo, I mention that to them. I I will um, say that Apple is sort of a pain to work with. If you're an auto, if you're anyone, yeah. app, working with Apple is very very difficult. So yeah, I think yeah. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, it probably would be difficult to impossible to get the the Apple Maps stuff up there. As an alternative, you know, they they could just leave the Google Maps display in the cluster that just shows you where you are. It doesn't. It's not going to show you a route if you're using Apple Maps from CarPlay, but it can just just keep displaying the the Google Maps display. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think the 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 uh, how they have it set up with in in the Volvos the android it's really nice because it shows like charging stations along mm -hmm. your route it is all those things that you kind of want it to do anyway so yeah um, and then you can still do your text messaging with carplay and listening to your random music or your podcast in a something that you're used to yeah um all right um well uh, oh speaking while we're on this topic that one thing i did forget to mention about um the lucid is it's even with the new UX, it still doesn't have support for Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, but it does have a, a bunch of apps built in, media streaming apps built in. So you've got Spotify, Tidal, um, there's a couple other ones. Pocket Casts is actually Pocket built Cast, in yeah. there, so uh, you can use that. You can log into your spot, your Pocket Casts account if you've got one, and and just get all your uh, your pot your um, your podcasts downloaded directly into the car. And it'll sync up with, uh, you know, if you're using Pocket Cast on your phone or tablet or computer, it all syncs across there. So that is handy. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people use Spotify. A lot of people using Tidal. Apple Music would be nice. Um, but again, it's Apple. So it's, yeah. 
it can be. But they have all the Apple people there now. So. <laughs> right, and you know, Apple, you know, Apple does have deals with some automakers um, to include an Apple Music app uh, in there. I think Porsche, uh, Porsche, uh, BMW has Apple Music in there now uh, on the new Seven Series, and I think on the X Seven. Um, I think I think it might actually be just done everything with the iDrive OS eight uh, version uh, has that on there. So, yeah. all right, uh, that's it for this time. Uh, relatively shorter one. Um, I do have uh, an interview that I recorded with uh, Daniel Weisland, who's the president of Audi of America. Uh, I recorded this with him uh, a few weeks back, and uh, so I will tack that on here now, and uh, we'll say goodbye until next time. Bye. Bye. Daniel, how are you doing? Hello, Daniel. Pleasure to meet you. My pleasure. I hope you can hear me loud and clear. Absolutely, yeah. It's great. Sam, I'm Wei Wan. I lead uh, corporate communications for Audi of America. I'm just going to sit here in the background um, while you guys chat. Thank you for taking the time with us. All right. Thank you. Uh, so, Daniel, as I said, pleasure to meet you. Um, let's uh, let's talk about Audi. Um, you know, where. Where do you see the brand uh, today? Um, you know, what are what are the highlights of what's going on with Audi today? And, and then let's dive into where it's going in the future. Um, look, uh, for Audi, clearly I can say uh, our future is electric, and we are leading the way towards electrification. And there's a good reason uh, doing so, because we all have a responsibility towards uh, our children and grandchildren and, and protect uh, our planet. Therefore, I think that's a, a big cause uh, in order to go uh, electrification. So we always say, like, what, what's good uh, for for the humans is also good for the business. And uh, this is uh, obviously our credo and, and, and our vision. Today, uh, we are proud that we have the largest product portfolio of battery electric vehicles of any automaker here in the United States. Uh, after we launched the Q4 e-tron and Q4 e-tron Sportback, that means we have five different models on sale here in the United States. Um, the, uh, the the original e-tron um, and and e-tron Sportback, uh, you know, have been with us now for for several years. Um, and the e-tron GT, um, you know, is is doing pretty well for for its segment. Um, the uh, the the Q4 e-tron uh, knew it's uh, you know it's a smaller crossover electric. Um, as, are, have you actually started deliveries of that vehicle yet to customers? Yes, we, we did start already deliveries uh, to customers. Uh, however, we see a lot higher demands than we expected uh, initially uh, when we planned uh, this product and, and, and the production of that. Um, and, and we're really happy to see that uh, customers really like the car, they love the car. And it's also entry point uh, towards uh, electric uh, premium model. With below $50,000, now you can buy uh, an electric Audi, which is great and will enable us to even, you know, get a bigger, um, you know, fan base into electric vehicles. Um, how um, how quickly do you uh, anticipate transitioning the entire lineup to electrification? I think it's been previously reported uh, that Audi globally will launch its last internal combustion engines around 2026. Um, what what do you see as the time frame for the transition in North America to electrification? That, that's the same time frame uh, um, as as on a global level, since we also obviously somehow connected to the global strategy and, and the global launching and the global production. 
So starting in 2026, uh, we will only launch new vehicles, uh, fully electric vehicles. That still means we have uh, ICE vehicles on sale for a certain time because we, until 2026, we're still also going to launch ICE vehicles, um, you know, and our last ICE vehicles will be the best ICE vehicles. So also here we, we still invest uh, heavily to make sure that we basically lead the transformation of our customers from, call it, ICE vehicles into electric vehicles because not everybody today maybe is ready to buy a full electric vehicle. We still have the infrastructure challenges. We maybe still have some, you know, challenges at, uh, in terms of range anxiety. Um, but I believe in the next uh, five years that most of our consumers will follow us into the uh, electric future. Do you see um, plug-in hybrids continuing to be part of the, the lineup for at least uh, through the remainder of this decade as well? We will have a few uh, uh, plug-in hybrids, but plug-in hybrids is more a transition technology. Um, it, it's, you know, yes, it gives you, uh, you know, both worlds at the same time, but uh, the future clearly is fully electric. Okay. Um, the the Q4 um, is on the, the MEB platform that's shared across a variety of VW Group um, brands. Um, do you... Um, how many EV platforms do you anticipate having? You've also got the, the new PPE platform that's coming up that you've been co collaborating with Porsche on. Um, how many EV platforms do you think are needed to support the entire Audi lineup? I think you need to constantly develop your platforms. You can't rely on one, two, three platforms uh, for the rest of the you know decade or even beyond 2030. So we constantly need to develop and, and, and re-engineer those platforms. And yes, of course, you need platforms for <clears throat> lower or smaller cars. You need the platforms for bigger cars. You need platforms who can uh, have, you know, uh, uh, are ready for SUVs and, and some for sedans. So obviously, uh, it also depends on your portfolio. But we, we try to leverage uh, synergies within the Volkswagen Group. But uh, as I said, constantly develop. Uh, also those platforms uh, and not rely on, on two or three platforms. Um, that's, you know, you're going to see a lot of more development than just the MEB, PP, and then SSP platforms. Okay. Um, the Q5 uh, e-tron plug-in hybrid is already produced in, in Mexico. Um, with, the, um, with the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed, um, there's definitely strong incentives to localize uh, production, and and even even without that, you know, there there are incentives from a from a business perspective, especially with EVs, to try to localize production to the degree you can, you know, to in order to support you know a corporate move towards decarbonization, you know, less less logistics costs, less transportation of materials and uh, things, you know, uh, around the world. Do you see, um, you know, is, is an expansion of production in, in North America or, I guess, regional production um, something that's in the cards for, for Audi of America? We constantly do evaluate uh, different opportunities and scenarios. How can we bring more electric vehicles to our customers uh, in a more sustainable way? Uh, and it's not just uh, in terms of production, where we produce those cars, it's also about what kind of materials we use, where do we source, source those materials. And, and as you know, uh, probably the group uh, also just signed an agreement with the Canadian government uh, a few weeks ago how to source uh, 
materials in a sustainable way. It's also about recycling. So with Redwood Materials, we have a partnership and cooperation uh, also to make sure that we recycle uh, batteries in, in a sustainable way. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, you need to look at the, at the big picture, not just uh, where you produce, uh, um, but again, like how can we reduce uh, the CO2 footprint and become net carbon neutral as a company in, in total? Okay. Uh, um, the um, you, you mentioned um, Redwood, you know, and uh, and the the deal with the Canadian government, um, you know, as part of a larger mobility ecosystem, e-mobility ecosystem, a number of companies, you know, are expanding their their um, their footprint into areas beyond just vehicle production and, and sales, um, you know, support uh, moving into areas uh, like stationary storage systems, uh, bi-directional charging capabilities, vehicle to home, vehicle to grid. Um, is that is that something that Audi is looking at, uh, at expanding your presence in these um, other areas of the ecosystem? Yeah, and first I think we look at the whole supply chain, how to, to, to make sure that we reduce uh, the CO2 footprint as much as possible. And we also look beyond our, let's say, core mo- uh, business model of, of selling, servicing cars. Uh, and the cars of the future will have the opportunity of bi-directional uh, charging. So uh, ideally, then your your car will also be able to to charge your house in case uh, you know the electricity goes down. And I, I speak for myself, like uh, you know, every other month or so, uh, electricity goes off sometimes for a few minutes, sometimes for an hour. And I know that many households have a you know a diesel generator protecting that the electricity completely goes away. And in the future, if the car in your garage can basically, you know, provide the electricity you need for your house, wouldn't that be great? Uh, uh, you know, on the one side, you would uh, actually save to buy this diesel generator who just makes noise and, uh, you know, <laughs> also produce a lot of uh, CO2 emissions. Um, and that's definitely future. So, yes, we develop on that and we, we look at all these opportunities. How can we, you know, makes this uh, become a, a better world and again protect it and, and make it more sustainable. Speaking of sales, um, you know, some uh, some companies, uh, obviously, a lot of the the newer entrants into the marketplace, you know, that don't have existing dealer networks, um, have moved to, uh, have largely adopted a direct sales model. That's not necessarily something that is. Uh, op- that's, that's available to uh, somebody like Audi, uh, where you have existing dealers. But how do you see the sales model evolving uh, in the coming years? I think it's important. It needs to be customer centric. The customer needs to be at the center of everything we do. And no matter if it's a direct sales model or like a, I call it a traditional sales model, we need to also evolve and, and transform ourselves. And we have uh, a lot of discussions with our dealer partners, but our dealer partners are an essential part of our business model uh, also going forward. Um, but uh, on the other side, we need to ensure that for a, from a customer perspective, it's a seamless customer journey, uh, independent uh, if, if I want to go to a dealer or not. Um, but should, you should not forget, dealers are very strongly connected to their communities. Dealers uh, are ambassadors uh, for, for the Audi brand, and still many of our customers like to have the human touch as part of their investment into a vehicle. You should not 
forget also uh, buying an electric car or buying a car in general is usually the second biggest investment after buying a house or a condo. And therefore, many customers still want to touch and feel things. They also want to, you know, have the confidence that when I have a problem with my car, I have somebody taking care of me and, and my car. Um, and uh, some of those new players you mentioned don't have the ability. So I think it's for us, it's a big asset we have and we shouldn't give it up. But yes, we need to also make sure that we evolve the way we're doing business and, and become more customer centric. You mentioned the you know the human touch. Um, for a, do you think that for a premium brand like Audi, as opposed to uh, a more lower cost, more mainstream brand, um, that that is is there a difference? You know, for the customers of those brands, do, do the premium customer maybe want more of that versus uh, somebody who's buying a lower priced vehicle? I would say every customer is different. Uh, 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 you know independent uh, of, let's say, household income, independent of what car they want to buy. Even if you compare two uh, Audi e-tron buyers, I'm sure they all have different expectations. And, and that's the key of success going forward, that so you're able to deliver according to the expectations of our customer. Um, and I wouldn't make a, a, you know, a difference between a volume brand and a premium brand. Yes, premium brand, uh, in, in average, I would say our customers have higher expectations than they should because they also pay a higher price, but, but also here every customer is somehow different, and that's always a challenge where a human touch can give you this ideal uh, individualized customer experience better than you do it um, maybe on your computer. Okay. Um, with, you know, uh, one of the things we've seen, especially over the last two years, uh, is, you know, digital sales models. You, you mentioned, you know, doing uh, sales over the computer, um, is is Audi going to move further into that sort of digital sales model in collaboration with your dealers where a customer can go in and, and configure um, a vehicle online and, and do most of the ordering process online and then take final delivery from the dealer and, and get their service and, and training uh, about the vehicle? Yes, we have a clear roadmap already defined with our dealer partners. Uh, we launched in July uh, e-deposit on all the electric vehicles um, and uh, we're going to start a pilot before the end of the year with certain dealer partners where we have the full online buying process for electric models and then we're going to continue to scale it and roll it out across the network across all models. So we have a clear plan to do so because we feel it's important from, for our customers. Customers want to have the flexibility to do certain things online. Uh, and, and maybe in-store, um, and, and therefore we need to have full flexibility. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's on its way already. Um, how do you see the the dealer model um, evolving? You know, as, as you get more into EVs, where potentially the the vehicles require less service, less maintenance over their their lifespan, um, and also uh, you start to get into over-the-air software updates. You know, where uh, customers don't have to take the vehicle to a dealer to have a software uh, reflash. How how are you working with your dealers um, to help them make the transition uh, in, into this new era where they're losing some of the potential revenue streams that they have today? I mean, first and foremost, the most important is to have a 
open communication and a constant communication. I would say to my team, there's no over communication. You know, we need to make sure that you bring your dealer partners along the way. And actually they're looking towards us for a clear direction into the future uh, for the next five, ten years and even beyond because they're all um, heavily invested uh, into the Audi brand. They have multi-million dollar investments in, in their dealerships and, and we need them too uh, um, also in the future. So there are, yes, there are certain aspects of the business which maybe in the future will change, but I can tell you we have lots of opportunities where today we're not really exploiting those opportunities. We, we're losing many customers like after maybe the warranty expires and we're losing more customers uh, if, if the car gets uh, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. And, and how can we keep those customers, those Audi fans in the family uh, for life? And this is definitely a topic we can constantly discuss with our dealer partners um, and, and uh, you know, over-the-air updates like on software. This is, again, helping our customers to save time. Uh, it, it's a lot easier and also actually helps our dealerships in their capacity. Right now, we have so many capacity constraints at the dealerships uh, um, to really service uh, cars. And on top, if a customer comes in for those software updates, um, if we in the future can do that over the air, it also helps the business model of, of our dealers. Okay. Um, another part of the, the EV customer experience is charging, which we touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, obviously, as part of Volkswagen of America, you've got Electrify America within uh, within the, the group. Um, but in in uh, Europe and Germany, for example, I think, I think I believe it was Audi has shown off as prototype of a, uh, I think a, the charging hub, uh, where you, know, you have a, a lounge, you know, upstairs and you have the chargers downstairs and customers can go in and sit and relax and have a coffee. Um, do you see that something, do, do you expect Audi of America to perhaps invest in some of that, um, either, uh, in addition to what Electrify America is doing or perhaps in, in partnership with EA, uh, setting up some of those sorts of, Charging stations? We're also looking at opportunities. Uh, again, we would always do that in partnership with Electrify America as, as uh, it's part of the Volkswagen group. Uh, but don't make, you know, don't make any mistake. I mean, you can't have those hubs all over the country. Uh, um, Germany is a lot sure. smaller than the yeah. US is. Um, and yes, you might have one or two or whatever in, in some metropolitan areas where we think it might make sense to improve the customer experience. But uh, in such a big country like uh, the United States, I think the key element is to have a fast charging network uh, on the highways. Uh, and for the rest, uh, we see it already today, more than 80% of our customers charge at home. Um, and, and therefore those charging hubs where you spend hours, um, you know, again, it would not work uh, at the maturity uh, of the countries, you know, especially in the countryside. So therefore our focus is Yes, uh, home charging, priority number one, fast charging on, on the highways, and then maybe we have a few pilots where we think, okay, that might make sense to have a charging hub similar like what they have in Nuremberg in Germany. Okay. Uh, the Speaking of home charging, um, you know, one of the interesting technology areas that you know, a lot of people have had interest in but hasn't really gained much traction so far is wireless uh, charging. 
Um, is is that uh, something that that Audi is looking at? Uh, you know, particularly you know, as, as you have premium customers that might be willing to to pay a premium for that um, for that convenience. Um, is that something we might expect to see in Audi EVs in the coming years? Again, I think it depends on the customer needs and requirements. You should not forget inductive charging you're referring to. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, first of all, the investment is a complete different investment level than you would have with a, with a charger in, in a, or a wall box. Um, and then inductive charging usually, um, and, and I'm not the, the engineer, but inductive charging, um, I think it's not as efficient as it is with the cables or the wall box. Um, but again, those technology might evolve uh, going forward. But the possibility do it does exist. I know that we, we have those uh, prototypes of cars already uh, uh, tested. Um, but again, like ultimately, it's what, what the customer needs uh, and expect. And, and so far, I honestly, I haven't heard any customer screaming for induct- inductive charging. Um, so right now, we, we see the wall box as the preferred solution for home charging. Okay. Um, looking at the Audi portfolio um, in, in North America, um, are you satisfied with the portfolio of products, at least you know, in terms of the, the form factors, you know, different segments that you're in, and do you see any opportunities that you're missing or that you would like to grow the Audi brand into uh, or, or perhaps – you know, uh, segments that, you know, maybe Audi doesn't need to be in that, that it is in today. So, so definitely our, our key objective is to transform our existing portfolio towards a more electric portfolio. And as I mentioned at the beginning, today we have already the largest product portfolio of any automaker if it comes to battery electric vehicles. Um, and ultimately we want to be present in every segment, uh, which is relevant for our premium customers. Um, and yes, uh, there's a lot of investment happening until 2025. Uh, the company will invest 19 billion euro on a global level just for electrification. And that will enable us to bring a lot more uh, electric vehicles to the market and then ideally have a car uh, at every price point at every kind of shape segmentation, which uh, is relevant for our premium customers. Okay. One one last topic I'd like to delve into. Um, back in 2018, uh, when the current generation A8 was launched, uh, one of the features that you know was talked about, uh, at least in Europe, was traffic jam pilot, a level three type of uh, driving assistance, partially automated system. Um, that never made it to the U.S. market. I don't think it ever really got deployed in Europe either. Um, we're starting to see some of your competitors starting to launch similar systems now. Um, and what, uh, what do you see as for automated driving, um, within the Audi consumer portfolio? What's, what's your strategy, uh, for that? I think it's very important, uh, that we continue to develop and invest in autonomous driving assistant features. And we have already today certain autonomous driving assistant features, um, you know, call it level two or level two plus, and we continue to, to invest in that. Um, but also one thing um, which is very, very, very important for us is we're only going to launch something if it's 100% safe and secure for our customers to drive. We would not risk or jeopardize our brand image by launching something where then I see in the headline somebody was killed 
in a car uh, driving his an autopilot and the autopilot didn't recognize uh, a truck in front of him because for whatever reason and uh, and therefore you know you don't always have to be first in everything to market you need to make sure that especially if it comes to autonomous driving so that safety and security is more important than anything else okay uh, last topic I want to hit is connectivity. Um, uh, Audi you know, has had uh, connectiv- built-in connectivity in its vehicles for many years, um, and this year uh, you did a good thing for your customers of some of your older products uh, with uh, your partnership with Mojio to support the transition from 3G to 4G. Um, another area that Audi has been heavily involved in uh, is uh, testing of uh, vehicle to, vehicle to everything communications. Uh, you've had the the traffic light information system uh, for a number of years in, in most of your products, uh, but you've also been working with Qualcomm and other partners on cellular Vita X. Um, is that something you see um, as coming to production vehicles anytime in the foreseeable future? Yes, for sure. I mean. Uh you know, we, we all, there's always certain challenges we have. Uh, the one challenge you mentioned earlier is that we have already over two million cars in the market. Uh, um, so, and some of those cars obviously were built five, ten years ago. And uh, you know, therefore, also you mentioned the the the, the retrofit on on, on those uh, emoji um, dongles uh, to enable even some of those older cars to be. More connected or be be connected uh, going forward. Yes, our cars will be more and more connected, but also here it's important uh, it's the infrastructure because it just doesn't help if the car can do it if your infrastructure is not ready. You mentioned the traffic uh, uh, um, light uh, assist. This only works also if the infrastructure is supporting it. Uh-huh. It doesn't work everywhere. So we we have to go in lockstep with other industries. We have to go in lockstep with with government and city development. Um, in order, so it's really successful and uh, the experience is great for our customers because on the one side, you can prepare the car for it, but if you don't have the infrastructure for it, then you might not get the full benefit uh, from a customer perspective. All right. Uh, Anything else that you should be thinking about uh, for for Audi uh, that we haven't talked about? Look, Audi is leading the way uh, into electrification. I think that's important. We're even now pushing the Formula One into uh, electrification. Um, and I'm really proud of that, that Audi is, is really leading the way, pushing towards an uh, electric future to protect our planet for our generation, for our next generation. And uh, yeah, I think we, we, we do the right thing, not just for the business, for our brand, but the right thing uh, for, for the people, for the human beings here. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Um, best regards. And uh, yeah, it was nice talking to you. All right. Have a great day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker. Engineering your success.
What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.